Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Great. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Hi, Rosie. Hi. I am so excited to have three lovely ladies today with me. And we're going to talk about the specific subject about how our all clinician medical ladies did during the time of pandemic. And I have a lot of thoughts myself, but why won't we go around and introduce each other? And why won't I start with Erin? Okay, good morning. Um, my name's Erin Balt. I'm an acupuncturist in Cranston, Rhode Island. I've been in practice for about 21 years. And I originally came from Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I was hired by a group of um, anesthesiologists to work in their pain clinic. And so I specialize in pain, but I also work with uh, a lot of other patients with other issues. So, and I've been um, enjoying being, you know, connecting with the people at Roger Williams just to get another perspective on pain patients and this and that. So. Awesome. So why won't we go to MM? Yes, hi, my name is MM Adolf Bakadom. I'm a rheumatologist at Cambridge Health Alliance and also an instructor at Harvard Medical School. I've been a rheumatologist in practice for about three years now. Um, originally from uh, Georgia, but my family is from Nigeria. And uh, yeah, looking forward to being a part of the broadcast today. Awesome. Welcome. And Rosie. Hi, everybody. I'm Rosie Kayla. I'm a third year podiatry resident that's currently in Tampa, Florida. I'm very excited to talk to other clinicians and doctors in the field during the pandemic. Thank you, Rosie. And Rosie, I'm going to start with you that, you know, we are, you are actually the only person who I actually worked with because you uh, rotated through our, through our rheumatology clinic during your podiatry rotation. And I met you and I remember our conversation about the feet care, about shoes, and it was just so awesome and so easy. And, and now you moved to Florida and um, you're thriving there. I also follow you on Instagram. <laughs> you have beautiful pictures. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, why won't I ask you guys the question, uh, what surprised you more about yourself during the pandemic? And if anybody wants to take it on. Well, I, I would have to say as kind of as an introvert in the beginning, it was sort of intriguing this idea of being able to not have to explain not being around people. <laughs> and then, um, so yeah. And so I just noticed that, you know, we've become, um, more introspective and we look at each other more when we're in the grocery stores, mainly because we have to um, stay away from people and not have much conversation with them. But at the same time, we kind of share this whole thing, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at one point you want to stay away from people, but they, at the same point you want to have a connection with them. So that's been interesting for me to notice, um, mm -hmm. basically. Are you guys doing something? Uh, similar to what I've been doing at the beginning of pandemic, you are, you know, we didn't know much about the virus, but are you like scanning people of probability of them having a virus? Right, that's, definitely. <laughs> that was what was happening to me. And like, okay, what's the probability of this person? 
And I still see, I remember when I was in a grocery store and somebody coughed. <laughs> right. And another person with me, we just kind of like looked at hand and all and both of us said, oh, oh. And we moved to another register. <laughs> you can't even like clear your throat in public these days without it, you know, arousing some suspicion. So that's one thing that I kind of noticed that I was doing too. But I don't think other than that, that I've been scanning people. It's interesting to, I've just been avoiding people in general. But to piggyback on what Erin said, you know, I'm an introvert as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really do require at least an hour or two a day by myself. Um, and for a long time, I lived by myself. So um, I, uh, I really didn't mind, you know, I would talk to people on FaceTime and that sort of thing. But I really enjoyed like, just kind of doing my own thing, like knitting, baking, reorganizing multiple things, multiple times, you know, I, I, I was okay with that. But then I think, you know, as time moved on, it was like, okay, like, figuring out ways to um, not have this monotony, you know, throughout the day was important. Mm -hmm. so seeking out other interests or reading more books or something just to kind of break up the monotony in the day was very helpful. And then when the lockdown sort of ended in June, you know, I was like, oh, really glad to, you know, go back to clinic. Because there was a period of time where, like about six weeks when we didn't go, all of our visits were televisits. And then during part of that time period, I think I was pulled into COVID wards for about three or four weeks. Um, but I really missed, you know, seeing patients and talking to them, you mm -hmm. know, in person as opposed to just like, you know, Zoom or FaceTime or, you know, just a, a telephone call for patients who didn't have, you know, the, the um, technology. Mm -hmm. And how about you, Rousey? Anything that you noticed about yourself during that time? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, I thought I would handle it better because I am introverted. And I think that's something like all medical pro uh, professionals have, that we are introverted because of all the years we're studying, all the years, you're really on your own. So it's like your natural tendency is to be introverted. Um, so I thought I would handle it better. I do remember at the beginning, it was kind of tough. I mean, it was just like the little things that you didn't notice. Like I, I knew like going to the grocery store just everything was sold out by the time you get there you're trying to figure out how to manage that and i remember i'd even ask them I'm like where's the ground beef and they're like oh we've been selling out like within the first hour of the day so i literally didn't have beef for like six weeks just crazy things like that and you start to appreciate it um because you don't have it as much i would say so I think this year and being in the pandemic, it's taught you to appreciate things a lot more in general, whether it be, um, whether you're introverted or not, you miss certain things like, like, for example, I've often forgotten and I've left, I've left the mask at home. And by the time I get to my car, I'm like, oh my gosh, I left the mask in the house. Like you just forget these things. And it's gonna, when the world does go back to where you're not wearing masks anymore, everyone's going to be like shocked. You're going to be feel weird because you've gotten so used to it. So simple things like that, I think I definitely miss and learned about myself. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, but also I think when you mentioned masking, I had like this moment when I, few times I forgot, you just forget to, to put a mask. You're thinking of yourself like for, you know, for these minutes of let's say intense thinking when you need to go out for a second. And I have this, you know, moment of panic, where's my mask? And, you know, I have this feeling that I could compare most vividly to being naked. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> my face is naked. What's, what's gonna happen? I was all this danger, you know, all these particles 
I'm going to be breathing. And when, you know, you realize the mask is just in the next room or in a pocket, in every pocket, in every coat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, so how are you going, guys going about masking? Did you take it to it okay? Or how are you doing at this point? more of a routine at this point and like you said you have a mask in your car you have a couple in your pocket you have one in your purse um they're everywhere now so it's it's a little bit easier i would say but there was a time when like you know getting a mask was a harder thing to do like there were shortages in the clinic they would ration like one mask per person per day um you know, I realized that a lot of people knew how to sew and that's something I like, I mean, I know how to mend things, but I don't know how to like make anything. People were yeah. making masks and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a basic life skill that I like never learned. <laughs> and so, you know, having to like ask people to make masks for my parents, because my parents live in Georgia and they, you know, they mm-hmm. own their own business and they were still working. And so I was like, just trying to get masks for them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and down there. So that's another thing, you kind of realize that there are these areas in your life that you didn't necessarily like functions that you weren't able to do that you're like oh that might be useful and you know <laughs> being able to sew in a pandemic is a, a useful skill right and you know i think that some people capitalized greatly on that skill because oh, I think there are you know various outlets that are selling you know beautiful masks now with various patterns uh, but i actually sew two masks my husband didn't want a mask <laughs> in the beginning i think he was the most resistant to idea um, but, you know, was wearing and when it became more apparent that first it works, you know, a little bit more scientific, but just like wear it because you are anxious. And uh, yeah, so I, I basically, you know, it took me a little bit of time and hand stitching from like a napkin, you know, that we would, mm-hmm. you would clean your mouth or whatever at the table. So we have few of those. I think what I'm gonna do at the end is like put it, put them behind the glass and like you know in the basement. Or or the other idea is like to organize the mask burning party, you know. But again, the environment. Mm-hmm. So um, how about you, Rosie? Um, how are you doing with what do you think? You know, talking about masking and I another thing. You know, at the beginning, what was scary to me was you know that the hospitals were not that well prepared and it was the scarcity in the you know in the practice settings how was it in florida for you i mean um i know at the beginning like i had issues with it because we're wearing masks in surgery pre-pandemic and i remember i always hated wearing them pre-pandemic um just because I felt it did give me acne and I felt like I couldn't breathe well. Like, so I felt like suffocated by it in surgery. You have the OR lights are on you. You're feeling warmer. So I always associated it with that. And me and my co-resident would be like, man, do we have to wear these stupid masks during surgery? And then now it's the norm. So at the beginning, whenever I'd wear it, I'd associate it with being at work. So I actually did struggle with it for the beginning. And that's why I actually limited my time outside. I was like, I just don't want to go outside because I really don't want to be wearing a mask. Um, But then obviously it's like, what do you want? You can, you have to weigh things out. Um, And I think that's what the pandemic's taught you. Is it worth the risk? Do you want to go on a nice walk outside? You have to wear the mask though. Like what's better, your mental health or like, you know, the mask. I definitely did struggle. I do feel like at least here in the VA, they do give us one new one every day. I know at the beginning Mm -hmm. we were given one and it was like, even if you soil it, you have to deal with it kind of thing. I remember telling us that and it was just kind of like, this is not, this is not fun. Um, 
but no, I've, I've adjusted to it now. I can't say anything. It's become so normal now, but yeah, at the beginning I was very resistant to it, but definitely mm -hmm. better mm -hmm. now. It's more of a blessing to have it now. Yes, that's, that's for sure. And they everywhere, you know, they sell the singles. And as we already talked about it at the groceries, you can pick them up pretty much everywhere. And now there is this idea that there, some cities actually were sending masks to all of these citizens. Or, um, so definitely change. However, you know, I don't like the feeling in a mask. Uh, it makes me also, you know, I think that the breathing is affected. And I can probably talk uh, uh, for an hour about the skin issues related to masking especially around the chin mm. and this is just like I talked to another woman about that I work with and you know she has scars from that you know yeah. and that's a big problem how did you guys do you guys have any problems with that or, and tell me some tips because I don't I honestly don't know what else to do Honestly, I, I would say I haven't had much skin issues just in general, even with the mask, but a couple of uh, teachers who are my patients, they've given me this like plastic insert that you put under the mask. It's supposed to basically keep the mask from touching your face. Um, and so I have a few of those and when like patients complain about masking, I just like, hey, you know what, try this plastic thing, put it under and it's supposed to help. Um, you can buy them on Amazon. There's like a, a teacher who popularized it like a few months ago. And so like, it's very well known in like, you know, teacher, like educational communities that like all mm -hmm. the teachers are wearing this under their masks now, or under their masks now. So I just been giving them away, but I can honestly say like, I, I personally have been lucky, but I think I'm just lucky in general. I didn't have much acne throughout my life. So. <laughs> yes, you are lucky. <laughs> and now it's just worsened. And, um, how about you, Erin? I noticed something interesting mask-wise. So, you know, um, patients come in and they're like, whoo, I can finally take my mask off. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they're in the treatment room, they're like, whoo, wow, good thing I can take my mask off. I'm like, no, you can't. So oh, I can't believe it. They're like, well, I thought your office was very clean. I'm like, it is, but that doesn't have anything to do with wearing your mask. So. Yeah, yeah, and the masks below the noses. It's I think it's a plague. I think it's you know it's very difficult to change these concepts because you know I think that the problem with you know like dealing the way we are dealing with pandemic was when I looked at you know the pictures from like 1918, nurses were wearing masks um, and doctors, but I never seen in these pictures that there was a such large idea of wearing masks to that scale. I mean, some, uh, but not to that scale. So I think it's relatively new that everybody now across the globe is wearing masks. Right. And I think that, you know, just we are trained, whether, you know, like you, Rosine, I talked about a few sergeants. And so for them, it was kind of easier because they said, I will always wear masks in OR for hours. But for us, it was an adjustment who are mostly in ambulatory. And for patients, it's just, completely new planet to do it right right are you guys wearing face shields in clinic yes yeah. i wear i wear glasses with yeah protection mm -hmm. right i find that now that it's warmer or now that it's colder and the heat is on it's harder it feels like it's a lot harder to get through the day like you're working harder to breathe just with everything on like i felt like it was easier somehow in the summer with the air conditioning on mm-hmm yeah, yeah, all of that makes the breathing a little bit of challenging. 
Um, anything surprised you about the practice? I don't know how many of you are doing Zoom uh, practice or telemedicine or telehealth. Uh, I know, Erin, you see, still mostly see patients in. And what are your thoughts about, you know, how did that affect or anything surprised you about your practice? Actually, well, in the beginning, you know, I closed down for about five or six weeks and I just shut down. There was sort of that idea. And then I sort of reopened a little bit, a little bit. Um, um you know people are afraid so they weren't coming in so i just shut my hours down but now they're coming back and um i think they're having more confidence in both uh, you know cleaning practices and the vaccine and uh understanding that their immune systems are really important to keep up and uh, more information uh, so people are feeling more confident and i'm feeling more confident yeah all the way around Mm -hmm. How about you, Rosie? Anything about patients in your practice? Because you're doing a lot of surgeries, and I know that a lot of surgical specialties suffered, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. Did it change a bit right now? Um, well, in Florida, at the beginning, it was they were limiting how much you could do, and it couldn't be elective cases. It had to be non-elective cases. But now, I mean, the rules are constantly changing. So if they're putting intubating them, it was like at the beginning, they told us if you're not wearing an N95, you have to go outside um, and then wait 15 minutes and then we'll let you back in after that. Oh, wow. Um, like the following week where it was, you know, you can be in here. So, I mean, the rules are constantly changing. Um, yeah. In terms of the patients, I felt like people did actually want to get more elective surgery because there's nothing to do. <laughs> oh, like, okay, that's a good point. You know, like, I mean, if you're telling somebody who just got bunion surgery, hey, you have to stay off your foot for like, you know, four to six weeks, they're going to be more willing to do that in a pandemic when there's not much going on anyway. They're not going to have that fear of missing out. Um, so I do remember when I was in Rhode Island, a lot of people were wanting to do it then um, during the pandemic. And it seems to still continue. If anything, it seems to be going up to do that, wanting people wanting, willing to do that because there's nothing going on. So um, it was more the, the, um, the surgery centers dictating how you could do and yeah. states dictating, you know, elective versus non-elective surgeries. But I don't think it was ever the patients that were like, no, I'm not getting surgery because of, you know, COVID. They were all very willing. Um, it's very controlled. They check them two days before they have the COVID mm -hmm. test. And then, you know, so yeah, I mean, in general, I do feel like it's actually, it did slow down at the very beginning, March, April, May, and then June, it picked right back up and it was actually pretty busy. So in terms of that, it's been okay. Hmm. Um, and how about you? Because we are in the most, uh, you know, in the same field doing rheumatology. How did you, how was, did your practice change? And are you still, still doing a lot of telehealth? Right. So right now the split for me, face-to-face -face and telehealth, it's like 60% face-to-face, 40% telehealth, which I think actually is really helpful. And I hope that like there will be some continuance because there is like a perfect patient for a televisit, like a stable patient, you're not changing anything. They just need labs. It's better for them just to like go to the lab. 
um, than to come see me and then have to go to the lab because the lab in our clinic has been closed since March and it's unlikely to reopen. So patients have to go to the hospital now for the lab. Oh, wow. But if like the patients are stable and there's nothing going on, like they don't need to necessarily come and, and, and tell me that. Um, and I think it's, it's nice because they don't have to deal with parking. They don't have to like yep. incorporate all this extra time in their day for a clinic visit. But I think that um, one thing that was kind of interesting, especially during the time when we weren't doing any face-to-face um, was just really realizing that you can get a lot just from like a really good history without even necessarily examining the patient. So mm-hmm. there are definitely like, like pre-pandemic, I would have been like, oh no, I definitely need to see you before, you know, starting a biologic. But if they had the right story um, and they had the right labs, I felt like, okay, right. let's, let's just start, you know, especially if they've been suffering for some time. So I think confidence about, you know, starting therapy, even though you're not seeing a patient is okay. So I think my mm-hmm. history taking definitely improved just because, you know, you have to rely on that sense versus what you see. Um, yep. The older patients, sometimes it was difficult to get um, like a Zoom or FaceTime call just because of, you know, issues with not being able to use the technology. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, connecting with the patients on a personal level, I found that especially at the beginning, it was more social visits. You know, a lot of patients um, low income or they have their own business, unable to, they're not having income because mm-hmm. I think small businesses suffered a lot during this time. Yeah. And so we just got a general sense of a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of social isolation, and they just like needed someone to talk to. So I felt like that was helpful. You know, I wasn't yeah. actually managing anything rheumatologic, but I think the fact that you called them and had a nice chat and you cared yeah. was, yeah. was helpful. The other thing for us, you know, prior to the pandemic, we did a lot of telephone calls that you couldn't necessarily generate RVUs for. And mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, being able to collect some productivity from that is, is helpful, you know, because yeah. before we call patients about things and there wasn't a way to bill for it, and actually it was considered kind of frowned upon to do that. So I would say, especially right. as a rheumatologist, it, my, my practice actually, you know, increased a lot during the pandemic compared to pre-pandemic because I was still building my mm-hmm. practice at, you know, last mm-hmm. March. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, those are great points. And another thing about the uh, the telephone is, you know, there are things that I, I think at the beginning, you know, were not that clear. And it's less of a problem when you see patients face to face because, um, you know, you can read lips and now you cannot do that, of course. And I noticed that there became a problem for any patients with hearing impairment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's just, I, I don't think there's an issue with this completely clear right now also another thing was a little bit um more challenging to do the free line language Mm -hmm. although we did in the past the translator so it's just you know sometimes it was just connecting the dots i already did it Mm -hmm. and interpreter was on the telephone i had a patient in a room and i was in a room it's just you know connecting all of these these things and uh but you know what was another thing and i'm not sure but but many people think about it for the those of us who do telehealth, it was pretty much like turning a switch. It was from day one to two, you were going from like 100% clinic to at the beginning, you know, when there was a total lockdown to 100% telemedicine or telephone or or video later on. And we didn't get any training how to do that right in the sense of, yes, you can do some age you know, history of present illness is very important, gather the good history, uh, but also some limited, you know, examination that you can do over the telephone. 
And really, you know, people say, you know, you got this or that training about pandemic, but there are these things that technology obviously helped us, but we had to do a great deal of catching up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Erin, how about, um, are you able to do anything uh, in acupuncture in your practice, natural therapy, that you think could be done uh, via telehealth, like a follow-up patients or anything? Uh, I could do herbal consultations, but I don't do too many herbs. So I send them to my send them to some friends that are much more uh, versed in herbs. But I could do that. But I have to touch people, so right. that was the challenge for me. Is I have to touch people. I've got to be in their face, um, and so personally, I was afraid. You know, for several months, get, getting anywhere near anyone, and you know, just with proper practice of hand-washing and changing masks and wearing protective eye gear and, you know, just cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. It's just an incredible amount of cleaning. You know, in fact, some of me is concerned about the toxic cleaners that we have to use between each patient and, you know, just inhaling all those fumes. I would never have thought I would be doing that, but I'm doing it like 15, 20 times a day. So that's a little bit of a concern, you know. It's one more thing. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know, when you go to the store, I mean, pay, toilet paper come, came back, although there are <laughs> names that I completely don't recognize. Um, but uh, but Lysol didn't come back. I don't know. Do you guys know what's going on with Lysol? I think, you know, probably hospitals and clinics get it, but there are still Lysol uh, shelves are empty. You can't get any spray. But I, I agree, there is this concern you know, I think it's uh, some long-term effect on, even on our airways, some of the sprays are quite irritating and quite toxic. One place I found that almost always has cleaning supplies is Home Depot. So if you can't find it at the regular grocery (laughs) store, go to Home Depot. That's where I've been buying my cleaning supplies, toilet paper and paper towels. (laughs) Is it because it's mostly occupied by men? (laughs) I don't know, but this, the shelves always seem to be stocked. So Mm-hmm. You can find it at the grocery store. We go to Home Depot. Yeah, I did it at the beginning. I got some advice from the grocery or pharmacy clerk, and they told me, you know, go to Home Depot. And it was it was empty, but I didn't visit Home Depot for a while, so I have to I have to see. Um, how about you, Rosie? Any concerns about that? Um. Yeah. I mean, yeah. From before, people were concerned about toxic. Um, chemicals, I'm sure even more so now. For us, we use um, the Sani wipes in clinic and those are toxic. They tell you not to use the, have you seen them? They're in like a little purple mm-hmm. top and it's like, do not touch with your bare hands. And so you're like cleaning everything after with that. And it does have a fume. So definitely, mm-hmm. but again, it, it's um, the risk versus the benefit and yeah. Okay. So, yeah, definitely you're trying to pick like the best of two evils i guess if you had to say and and you know do you guys remember at the beginning like you're not supposed to clean the the cell phone with anything and now i put everything on my cell phone and it still works after 12 months so <laughs> i don't know what that was about they do have at the VA. They have the UV cleaners now for your phone. You just stick it in this like big UV machine, and it's like everywhere. And you just stick it there, and it cleans everything up. I haven't bought one myself though, because I'm sure there's probably side effects from that too. So I mean, there's right. so much we don't know about. There's so much we don't know about. 
Exactly. And, you know, I think the same about UV light. If it's going to kill everything everywhere, I am not sure that's so great for everything truly to have this completely box-free environment. And quite frankly, you know, I think we are old enough to be exposed to multiple bugs and so on. But I also worry about younger people because, you know, it's almost like a training for, for the immune system to be exposed to bacteria and bugs. And we got them. And that's how you, in a sense, strengthen the immune system. There are some theories why some countries like India are doing very well with pandemic, that they some, have some of this, you know, very strong immune responses, although that has been also disputed, um, what I heard recently. Now, how about your personal life? If you, any of your routine change, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm only dreaming about traveling anywhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even with a kid, you know, you have to quarantine then for two weeks, so you can't really go anywhere. And I miss it. I wasn't a huge traveler, but I loved visit various places in New England for a day or, and now it's gone and it's so depressing. It's definitely hard if you're a travel junkie to be going through a pandemic. <laughs> you think about it and you're like, wow, I can't just get on a plane. And um, my passport actually expired, which would never happen in like normal circumstances. But at the time, it was like right when the pandemic started. And I was like not comfortable sending my passport in because everything was closed. And I'm like, I'm not going to have anything. Um, so I never sent it in and then it just expired. But um, yeah, it's just all those missed opportunities that you had. Like it was my dad's 70th birthday and he wanted to go to Spain and we were planning this big like family trip to Spain and that was gonna be like 4th of July weekend and obviously that got canceled. So it's sad, it's scary. And um, even domestically, like I went to California for Christmas and I had to like sign a waiver that I would quarantine and I, had to be quarantined for my dad for like a few days because he's at risk and then I had to take a COVID test so even if you do travel there's a lot of hassle that goes with it it's not just um hey I'm here now and I can do whatever it's not so everything has changed for sure and it's definitely hard if you're a travel junkie <laughs> right plus I you know I think that obviously domestically we you know there is strong recommendation not to travel and obviously there are situations that people do travel and so on but i think internationally i think majority of countries simply don't want us to visit them anything changed for you in that department mm as far as you know your hobbies i know you picked up knitting like me. I mean, I, I, knitting is something i learned when i was younger but i found that it's a very good way to relieve stress and fill time so i started doing that and you know, a few of my friends had babies during the pandemic. I probably knitted at least five or six baby blankets. I'm starting as like a, as oh. another one right now at the moment. Um, but I was, you know, I, I took about two big trips a year. Um, and I think mm -hmm. the last trip I took was Maui last February, but usually I take like mm -hmm. one international trip a year. So definitely like, you know, I, I miss that aspect of, you know, going away and, and seeing some different place and different culture, experiencing different food. But I feel like that will eventually come back. I'm not entirely mm -hmm. sure when that will be. But I think for right now, traveling, you know, should be only for extreme conditions um, or, or necessity. But I, I'm finding that, like, especially now that we're a year into this, people are starting to, to go places because now you can just get a COVID test. You can quarantine. Mm -hmm. um, for me personally, it's not something that, that I would, would choose to do. Um, I think it, I would pretty much need to 
to get on a commercial flight, I need probably need a life or death mm-hmm. um, um, ish, uh, reason to do it. But my boyfriend actually, he's, he's a software engineer, but he also is a pilot. So in the last two years, he got a private pilot license. And so he, he has access to a plane because he's with a club. Um, and so like we will, like when it was okay to travel to Maine, we would go to Maine, you know, and, and come back or go someplace and come back. So, but now it's like, you can't really go to other states. So, you know, we're not really right. doing much, but I would say like, before I would have been like, do I really want to get on this puddle jumper? But now I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's go. Like, this, you know, something to do that's different. So I think my, my pandemic experience has been a little bit different than other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that also brings an interesting uh, subject of how do young people meet each other and are dating? I mean, that's, that concept is very difficult, you know, even for very young, young of us, but also otherwise. I mean, if you already have established um, boyfriend, it's a really benefit I, I see to have a boyfriend who is a pilot, something maybe that we didn't look for before pandemic now there's all of this checklist is he gonna wear a mask you know is he gonna clean his hands or she um you know are they going not to risk some travel with me all of these things now how about you erin how about the travel i know you have a bunch of animals just like me and um so they they also provide enormous comfort yeah i mean that's definitely part of it it's just um Jeez, I, I'm I'm petrified to get on an airplane and wander around an airport. And so I would have to say it hadn't been a problem for me. But my father died in the middle of the pandemic. And it was um, very sad for me not to get down to go there because they were because there's no hotels either. So you couldn't stay in a hotel. You couldn't do much of anything. So, um, yeah, it's been difficult that way. Um, I don't have any family up in in Rhode Island so it would be really nice to get to do some traveling but I'm just waiting till it's going to be really safe and um you know just trying to plug along mm-hmm. so yeah that's about it I know the question is when it's going to be really really safe because there is you know the small percentage of people who are not going to have a great response to vaccine there's about five percent and this waning immunity so I think there's still more questions than answers here but I, I had a lovely time with you guys. Any final thoughts? Well, have anyone has anyone noticed that no one's gotten a cold this year? Yes. Right? <laughs> so that's that's an upside. No one's gotten the colds or the regular um, flu kind of things. So But the allergies are killing everybody. So that's an interesting dynamic of our immune system, isn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the is me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then like can somebody from immunology I don't know anybody from immunology to invite and like can you explain all of that to me like no colds but allergies I have allergies to I start sneezing violently uh, at situations that I would never predict could you know make me a little bit more irritated how about you guys Oh yeah, I think the wearing the mask all day causes me to have runny nose and plugged ears, and okay. you know, then I'm automatically wondering, uh oh, do I have COVID? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Another mm-hmm. stressor there, but mm-hmm. yeah, definitely the alley- runny nose has been a big part of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, any any final thoughts from you guys, Amem? Um, I think thanks for for inviting me. It was good to talk and and see you it's been a long time i I don't think i've seen you since one of the meetings (laughs) yep very Mm -hmm. long time (laughs) and i don't know when these meetings medical meetings are all 
all remote, which makes a lot of sense. But there's this, a lot of people start saying now that they are going to miss definitely the social aspect of conferences and meeting, which I think makes us human after all. I mean, yeah. how about you, Rosie? Thank you for doing this, Dr. Gillick, and bringing everybody together. And I think it's important to have somebody like you in the field that really um, shows all aspects of life and that medicine, you know, not necessarily is everything and you can be multifaceted and it's a, you're a good role model for that. So thank you for doing this. Yes, I agree. Thank you. Thank you guys. I, I really loved it. Actually, I think, um, thank you so much for, for coming and being part of it. And I learned so much from, uh, from you guys, but also it's very reassuring for me that it's very something uh, warming, heartwarming about going through the same, even the most difficult experience and having similar thoughts. And, and uh, so thank you again. Thank you.